Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. Hello. Hello. We are here today with a new (laughs) book recommendation episode. If this is your first time joining us, you have landed in precisely the right place because book recommendation episodes are where we try and persuade and convince you to read a book with us for the next two weeks. We put book recommendations out every Monday, and then the book clubs covering those books come every Friday, and there will be two of those installations. We are here today to discuss a food memoir called Blood, Bones, and Butter, but before we get to that, a couple of social media plugs. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram under that same handle, all one word. Follow us there, comment on our stuff, say hello, come check us out. We also would appreciate rates and recommendations on any podcast platform. We're up pretty much anywhere. If if you don't see us somewhere where you think we should be, feel free to comment and let us know. But we're pretty much all over the internet at this point. We've scoured it. We've put ourselves up, put our flag everywhere. Should we start making flags? Is that something we should do? It's a bit nationalist. I totally could. <laughs> yeah, right? We could just start putting them in random lawns all over town. Yes. Is that viral marketing, technically? No. <laughs> I guess if you have to think that hard about it going viral, it's not viral. I think that's one of the key tenets of something being viral in 2021. Anyway, we are not here to discuss our viral marketing plan, though we could at great length. As I mentioned, we are here to recommend a book, again, called Blood, Bones, and Butter. Before we jump into the recommendation and the persuasion, let's talk about why we chose this book and where it came from. Amanda, you set me up for it, so what was the prompt for this one? Yeah, I um, gave you the prompt of just choosing any book um that is considered a food memoir so it's pretty broad yes and i went with this one because and i think we cover this in the book clubs that's okay you're here first listener so i'll say it again for you for the first time i thought immediately of the anthony bourdain kitchen confidential which despite me consuming a lot of food media and knowing a lot about him and his tv shows i've never read that book so that's where my first thought went But then I didn't want to do, I feel like I had picked a lot of male authors recently, and I was like, okay, I'll check out the the vast category food memoir, so I dug deeper. This one then came across, because it's more recent, so that checks the box for us. We we tend not to pick things that are too old, but anyway, so that was something appealing. Written by a woman and a chef, which both of those things I thought were meaningful to me. I was like, it'd be interesting to get in the kitchen. And then, most crucially, maybe for the Bourdain connection, is that he reviewed it and said it was the best food memoir ever written, so he had very positive strong things to say about it (laughs) and I thought okay well I was gonna pick his but if he says this one is better then why not just jump to this one and it also reviewed pretty well on some food websites food blogs and stuff it seemed like the food kind of critical media was um, in agreement that this was a good interesting book so that's why I went for it had you heard of this book before I chose it I had not me neither me neither pretty new still I think it was published maybe I don't know, not even 10 years ago at this point, so I would call that pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our recommendation, I'll briefly read from the cover. If you're just wondering what the baseline of the book is, this is what the cover of the book has to say. Before Gabrielle Hamilton opened her acclaimed New York restaurant, Prune, she spent 20 hard-living years trying to find purpose and meaning in her life. Blood, Bones, and Butter follows an unconventional journey through the many kitchens Hamilton has inhabited through the years. 
the rural kitchen of her childhood, where her adored mother stood over the six burner with an oily wooden spoon in hand, the kitchens of France, Greece, and Turkey, where she was often fed by complete strangers and learned the essence of hospitality, and Hamilton's own kitchen at Prune. Let me cut that off. That is going to go on for forever, that sentence. <laughs> I didn't mean to pick a such a long <laughs> sentence. That's like two paragraphs. Where, anyway, it's essentially, yeah, it's her kind of irreverent journey across the world of cooking, so... Let's get into it. I think we've stalled and introduced this long enough, Amanda, to start us off with a simile. We begin our recommendations and acts of persuasion by describing what reading this book is like, so take it away. Um, I said that reading this is like interacting with my two-year-old daughter. Sure. There's, <laughs> hmm. there's a lot of jumping around of ideas. There's surprising connections between, well, pretty much everything that yeah. comes around like at unexpected times. And the whiplash of emotions, the abounding confidence in herself, and uh, the quiet joy when she's occupied with something. And all of that is to say that I did enjoy it, too, because, of course, I enjoy spending time with my daughter. Yeah. Is the chaos of childhood, um, does it contain all the multitudes of human life, then? Does it have it all? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think in, in, in quick succession, like you noted. It all happens yeah. so fast at the same time. Yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, and seemingly out of nowhere, and then later you're like, oh, well, that's why that happened. <laughs> and does your child have an affinity for eating or cooking yet? She does. She actually, she loves to bake, and cool. um, she likes to use the um, the the beater. Okay. And she yeah. also loves using a whisk, and um, mm. she likes to chop like she, I, I have a little fake knife for her, which actually can like it's it's all plastic. Yeah, it yeah. can kind of cut a little bit, and so I give her like little pieces, and she chops it for me and puts it in. Fantastic! Yeah, wow. she's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, hopefully she. I think either affinity is really beneficial in life. Being a generous eater or cook, be, either will yeah. pay off. So that's yeah. great. She Bacon. will at least try a bite of something before she says like nope don't like that <laughs> yeah yeah best you can hope for i think in especially in young people and frankly in many yeah. adults with whose palates are shrunken <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you just hope they give it a chance but that's fair yeah excellent okay my for my simile i put that reading this is like watching the old wiley coyote versus roadrunner cartoons i believe that was a warner brothers thing right yeah yeah, I sure. thought so. I, I couldn't quite remember. It's even that's even a little before my time for sure. But I saw them growing up anyway. And in those cartoons, just when you think that Wiley Coyote has fallen for the final prank, like the the classic one is that an anvil gets dropped on his head, or he plummets off a cliff because he you know runs too far, too fast, or he runs into a wall, a tunnel, fake tunnel. That's a classic one. He just goes and falls for another one again, and that's just kind of the slapstick humor of the cartoons. That's how it just perpetuates itself. This felt like that to me, though, in, in both style and contents. It's kind of her, I mean, she does kind of crash her way through life in a sense. It, it can be a very hectic feeling memoir and kind of chaotic in its contents. Her writing can feel that way too, though I think it shows tremendous control at times as well. So I don't think that's the perfect simile for her style, which I think is, is pretty pronounced, pretty noteworthy and interesting. But it's more just the places her life goes, I think, are rather unexpected and unpredictable. So that was why I think I pulled that one. I love uh, any reference to Looney Tunes. I'm always mm-hmm. on board. And yeah. I think this is pretty fitting, too, because Looney Tunes is meant to be like sometimes it's pretty silly. Um, and it's got I mean, it is meant to be like chaotic and but also fun. So yeah. I think all those things kind of 
Yeah, they they embody this novel or this memoir well. And I think the the lack of seriousness, it is deadly serious in some of the things that it talks about, but it never, yeah, it never feels super dire to me for some reason. Maybe we'll unpack that in the, hopefully the book clubs we covered uh, do a good job unpacking maybe why that is. But yeah, it's serious in contents and can be serious in tone, but it never loses a kind of fun core of it. Maybe that's just kind of her harsh voice it's kind of fun to listen to somebody describe things the way she does so yeah yeah. let's move to the scripted pitch this is the part of the recommendation where we actually actually pre-prepared something we write something in advance usually it's around 200 words give or take and we will now attempt to again persuade you to read along with us we'll talk about the merits of the work do you want me to go first? I guess I just made you go first. Should I take this one first? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay. Sure, sure. I, I feel like I always put it on you. Let's turn turn the tables here. I'll begin <laughs> Your pitches with... are always better than mine anyway. No. So like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true, but that they're longer. I mean, I guess that counts for something. There's, there is a literary school that applies that theory, I think, to most, you know, longer, better, whatever. Anyway, mm. um, I'll start with my pitch then. Gabriel Hamilton seems like a gracious chef, even in this book. She seems thoughtful, unafraid, and adventurous. Her descriptions of food are truly rapturous. Some, I think you could even argue, are ecstasy-laden, even like orgasmic in a way. I don't think we read it that way, but I think it could be read that way. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she precisely knows how to match a taste to a place, and she does that masterfully many times over in this book. There's the childhood lamb roast. There's the cocktail glass appetizers that are all snooty and artificial. There's the lobster slaughter. There's a double parked Italian sub with her family, boiled vegetables. I could go on, and the book does, which makes this next part I'm about to say even more difficult, all of that setup. This is a very caustic, and I think at times even you could say bile-filled memoir. She, I don't think she seems like a particularly hateful person either, which makes it even stranger. I think she's a bit jaded and cynical, sure, But I don't think she's immoral or certainly not like evil or something. And so I think these traits are fine. Hell, they probably make for even better reading, if I'm being honest. Like it makes for more of more fun romp. But in an attempt to be open, and I could think she's even being gracious in how honest she's being, she does whiplash the reader between various episodes of loving and loathing, often in like the same paragraph. So I think if you're if you don't know that, it could have maybe a bit of a pernicious effect on an unaware reader. So just be warned. I think in in the grand literary tradition that she for multiple pages scorns. I think Hamilton has assembled a memoir of really potent symbols and each dense with meaning. Often it's things that she hates, and so it's hate-filled meanings. So if you're generous in your reading and gracious, I think it will reward you with an... It's an intricate study of a life chaotically lived, but you should know that going into it. So not a lot of serene, peaceful scenes eating food with good company. <laughs> Though yeah. there are those. Those do happen. So anyway. Yeah. I think it's interesting pitch. the bile-filled portion of your comment because I was like as you said it I was like yeah that's actually a a great image to to kind of bring forward about this memoir it's not to say that she's like a hateful person as you said but like some of the things that she says can be really in your face and it can seem um like intentionally like the wanting to get a reaction out of people of course Um, yeah, so and but those parts don't bother me. Um it might bother some people, especially mm-hmm, if you have mm-hmm. an invested interest in some of the um opposite opinions of her, but yeah, that's that <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's just when you go to a memoir and I could see why people would do this. Are you looking for a friendly face and a high five handshake or are you just wanting to 
enjoy a kind of literary journey uniquely told it's more the latter like i don't yeah i think she's actually kind of welcoming and how open she's being but that doesn't mean it's easy to read or that she's easy to get along with and of course one of the ironic twists is we always do research for outside criticism at the end of our book clubs on this if you join us you'll know that but in part of researching that i saw youtube videos around this and you know people followed her around interviewed her and she just seems like such a normal person i don't it's just the the literary voice <laughs> that an author can ad- adopt versus just their lived life it, it can be a very strange disconnect but yeah this is it has mm-hmm. intense moments anyway so i've gone on long enough amanda what's your pitch um sure If you have an appreciation for food beyond just something to stop your grumbling stomach, you'll appreciate the way Gabrielle Hamilton handles the food in her memoir both literally and metaphorically. Even if you don't care about food as anything more than some annoyance you have to deal with for survival, here I'm I'm thinking specifically of my husband, Um, (laughs) you still appreciate the artistry with which she describes the important events of her life. Hamilton swears, disdains, and opines her way through her story of struggle, abandonment, and longing as she creates beautiful images of food and the way that a meal can bring strangers together as a family. Her life, as it's portrayed in this memoir, is a journey through the wonderfully rich medium of food to discover identity and acceptance. And do you think by the end, gosh, what would you say her identity is in the, throughout this thing? Other than just chef, I guess, which is a boring answer. Um, I think that she is seeing herself as almost more, I think that it's fitting at the end that she's more um, like a, not hostess, but a matriarch. Oh, okay. A person in charge of herself as well as her kids Mm -hmm. and her family. It, it did, I did, was loath rather to say this in the back half, but I'll say it again here. The motherhood, when motherhood enters her life, I think it does unlock her writing a bit, or at least there were descriptions of it that finally I think clicked into place for me, where the voice mm-hmm. met the topic in just the perfect way. But not yeah. that the rest of it isn't filled with intrigue and merit, but that was, I think, an elevated part of the book. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Two more parts to go here. If you're not yet persuaded, stick with us. Uh, We're each now going to give a quote for clarification, so we're just going to read from the work and explain why we chose this quote, what it represents. I'll just continue to take the lead on these, Amanda, if you don't mind. I'll take it away. Mine's from page 107. It is about when she tried to get a... Well, she did. She went to a master's program for creative writing, and this is about that program. In the university program where I was supposed to be emancipating myself from the kitchen, preparing myself to go back to New York, having at least answered the question of my own potential, the novelty and thrill had thoroughly worn off. I could not find the fun or the urgency in the eventless and physically idle academic life. It was so lethargic and impractical and luxurious. I adored reading and writing and having my brain crushed, but those soft, ghostly people lounging around around the lounge in agony over their texts endlessly theorizing over experiences they would never have made me ache to get out of the leather chairs to put on my shoes and socks and to get back into the kitchen which i increasingly found practical and satisfying the work may not have held much meaning and purpose but i was gunning the motor of my car to get off campus and go in it each day and i'll pause there it presents kind of her philosophy, I think, pretty well. She just likes getting in the metaphorical mud. She likes doing physical work. She likes to be crushed under it, I think, at times even, and derives pleasure and 
meaning from that work and enjoys the kind of practicality of a kitchen. And it's funny just because I think this sentence or this moment in this text is embodies something in her. She, in the same sentence, says she enjoy, adores reading and writing, and then she says she hates the people who agonize over books. <laughs> the yeah. thing that she just said she loves. Yeah. It's... um. I, and I, but and yet I completely understand it. That and I think the line in there, which again to me is a rather biting line, but has a truth to it, which is she loathes people who think about doing the thing. She just wants to go do the thing. Then maybe later write or read about it. You know, it's kind of it's just a matter of priorities, I guess. And so mm-hmm. at, at the same time, I kind of understand the philosophy. In another, I could see a reader looking at this and thinking she's a hypocrite and kind of a rude one at that. So it's yeah, it's an interesting presentation anyway. Yeah, that's the uh, the disdains part, right? Like mm-hmm. she she does definitely state her opinions about things, and she has a very particular way of um, thinking and stating what she thinks. <laughs> yeah, which I I found like interesting. Not not to say that you know like I, I care necessarily about like her um, personality as it is developed or anything like that. I'm I'm looking at this memoir as more of like a Um, a literary study so if you're going into it I think and like wanting to like this person rather than looking at it as like something that you can read and maybe learn from I think that you you would definitely be missing and I think a lot of stuff yeah and I think I do did like her by the end or at least I understood her I I like that she has the she knows that she has gumption and that's, you know, her best quality or something. And that's, I think that if you're going to come into this or maybe even let's think of walking away from it thinking, oh yes, I like her. I I am like her as well. It would be just because you enjoy being gritty and the feeling of doing a gritty task. It's kind of just, you like powering through maybe even again, I think she enjoys suffering a bit. I think that be, is actually pretty mm-hmm. clear by the end. And so you have to kind of have that mindset or something. But even if that doesn't sound like you, it really makes for fascinating tag along <laughs> to follow her yeah. journey and see what what she's like. And anyway, so yeah. And for your quote, Amanda, what are you thinking? Um, I pulled my quote from page 215. Um, How will the woman who is accustomed to great personal and bodily integrity suffer the cannibalizing feeling that nursing constantly can leave you with, as if you were being eaten alive, not in huge monster gore chunks, but like a legion of soft, benign caterpillars makes lace of a leaf? So I chose this one because here is the piece of writing, uh, an example of a piece of her writing that shows just how beautifully she can write her style here where we have great imagery we've got some um, some interesting comparisons and of course it is related to food and like this is a food memoir where she really shines is when she is describing food or using food to compare different situations and stuff like that so i wanted to highlight that and also you had mentioned before about how like her as the as she becomes a mother in the memoir her writing seems to almost mature with that and so this is um, a reflection on her part of like she is the one being consumed she is the food now and what that's like Mm -hmm. and it's just um, a really interesting I think quote yeah and such a delicate image too I mean that's sort Mm -hmm. sort of the literary stuff that peeks through shines through the MFA program coming out I think yeah exactly (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And I, I, I already said the motherhood comment, so I won't revisit it, but that's a great example of it. Perfect. Before we conclude, Amanda, let's reach into the literary knapsack. This is the helpful part of the pod where if you've decided to read this book with us over the next couple weeks, we will now offer you some advice on how to read it, what kind of literary devices to look out for, basically some advice giving on how to understand the book better before you begin it. Um, I guess I'll toss it to you for the end. Why not? Change it up a bit here. What is the (laughs) piece of advice you're going to give them in the literary sense, Amanda? Sure. Um, I just was going to point out that this is, in fact, a food memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> critics disagree about the exact way to define this genre because this genre is actually, like, fairly recent in the grand scope of, like, literary genres. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, in fact, it's... Um, I had told you before that um, I took a food memoir class in when I was doing my master's. And so my professor, Dr. Waxman, she's actually like at the forefront of a lot of um, academic readings of food memoir and kind of she's like the pioneer almost of like food memoir as something like legitimate to study in colleges and stuff. So she's like everything about (laughs) food memoirs. So if you're interested in food food memoirs, like, and and you're not sure what it is, like definitely look up Dr. Waxman's information. Okay. Um, But uh, in general, food memoir is um, a writer's experiences with food as told from his or her memories and imagination. Um, And Dr. Waxman states that it's a culinary memoir that chronicles the growth and development of the memoirist through the lens of food memories in narratives that either begin with childhood or that interpose frequent flashbacks to earliest formative experiences. Hmm. And her definition, I think, was perfect for this book because we do have, we start with the childhood, but we do have those like flashbacks, the jarring going back and forth in time, the non-chronological method with which um, Hamilton writes. So I thought that was like a, a great definition. And it, of course, all relates back to her experiences with food. Yeah, the playing with the chronology in this book, by the end of it, I think we had a clear picture. You'd help me get there and understand kind of the structure of it. But it's, yeah, it can be a bit jarring at times when you're reading it, just because it's it's mostly moving forward, but then suddenly she'll make a clear reference to something that yeah, anyway, it's just, it's clearly not completely in time. And that be, yeah, those moments can be jarring. But it opens with a potent childhood scene, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Beautifully done, too. Yeah, one of the better scenes in the book, honestly. I think it, mm-hmm. it begins and ends really well. I think yeah. maybe some parts in the middle might lose readers a touch. But anyway, completely agree. I'm going to do just an addendum to that and go broader in terms of categorization. I just said autobiography, which um, this is all from the Penguin's Literary Dictionary. It is a person's own account of his or her life, always written for a public audience. Indeed, autobiography is ideally understood by both its authors and its readers to be exemplary as a reliable and true portrayal of a life from which others can learn. And then the last 100 years or so has undoubtedly been the genre's period of greatest formal innovation, including, and then Penguin goes on to list a lot of examples, but for marginalized groups to have a voice and use that voice. And there's that definition was cut down tremendously it's like five pages long but that's the basics of it yeah they they tend to list a lot of examples which is helpful in a literary dictionary sense anyway 
I pulled those quotes just to point out a couple of things. This does feel very public, and I think she is being very open and trying to be very gracious about her life. She doesn't hold anything back. I think the kind of feelings, reactions presented to things in this are very honest, and so that is, I think, a credit to it. But the literariness and maybe the voice, you know, perhaps it's amped up a touch knowing that it's going to be read by literary people, and she had a hit, you know, kind of elite restaurant in New York. I don't know if that influenced her when she was writing it. I I can't make an estimation one way or the other, but I think it's written in an intense way that plays to a crowd. Like if somebody mm-hmm. somebody handed this to me and said this is journal entries, I would say not in a million years. <laughs> this is a this has such <laughs> literary stuff oozing out of it that it does feel like it's trying to present kind of the mannerisms mindset of a chef, but also a certain type of chef and certain type of person. And so, yeah, it just, it felt very public facing to me, I guess, in a, in a kind of critical literary way. Mm-hmm. Written yeah. in, yeah, with an intense style. I, I agree. And the, I also noticed that in your definition, it says uh, marginalized groups to have a voice. She definitely like directly addresses that too in the memoir, which I found gave, uh, added depth to her memoir in like Mm -hmm. chapter what was it chapter 16 or chapter 12 yeah 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 yeah, i think penguin was pointing out too in there i could pull it open but i i I won't but essentially they talked a lot about groups that had been colonized and then groups that had been ignored in certain western countries stuff like that and how it yeah the memoir became one of the ways to give themselves humanity and kind of humanize them to broader groups cultural groups racial groups all that stuff so anyway yeah they they went out of their way to talk about how that's been kind of a fruitful or interesting literary space for for a while but it's new like you said food memoir kind of a new thing autobiography not new but definitely new in the in the history of literature it's new Mm kind of sort of so any final thoughts on blood bones and butter by gabriel hamilton um no, I, I would say that I really enjoyed it. And I think that her, the the imagery is just, I mean, she's really a, a wonderful um, writer when it comes to creating certain um, food images for me and, mm-hmm. and comparison. She's great at comparing anything to food. <laughs> yeah, we all end by saying the classic, kind of a classic talk down or critique of book club chatter I don't know if you'll like her, but I don't, I'm certain it doesn't matter (laughs) to be good, interesting reading. Like I, that's, you know, my first thought when I go to a book club isn't, well, do I like these characters? It's, which I say in a, that voice, not on purpose, but it's, I don't mean to sound so rude or something there, but it's, that's just not my concern. It's, is the writing creating complexities and interesting things to think about? And here it's, yeah, like unquestionably, yes, especially about food, which kind of is the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, take take that as our final word on the matter. If we did not persuade you today, well, we tried our best and we'll be at it again soon. After this book, we have three books coming up in order. I'm going to read the titles and authors of them now. Not going to say anything else about them, but just keeping these on your radar in case you don't want to read this one and want to check in with us in a couple of weeks. The next book we have coming up is Sansei and Sensibility by Karen Te Yamashita, which is nonfiction and short stories. It's kind of a little bit of both. After that is Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which is nonfiction narrative about a serial killer in Chicago. And the final one is Wild in America. That's Wild with an E by David M. Friedman. And that is a history of Oscar Wilde, the author who 
was in America for a bit, bit of a celebrity. Any uh, final thoughts on the pod today, Amanda, before we close out? Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Well, thanks again for listening. If you're going to join us, we'll see you on Friday for the first part of Blood, Bones, and Butter. And if not, well, we'll see you between the pages. Thank <laughs> you.